So I'm speaking with uh, one of my favorite composers, uh, Christopher Lennertz. Uh, Chris has composed scores to so many wonderful movies, TV series, and games. Movies like Horrible Bosses, Identity Thief, Adam, and Thanks for Sharing. Uh, games like Medal of Honor, Pacific Assault, Gun, Mass Effect 3, and Starhawk. And TV series like Supernatural and Revolution. Thanks so much for uh, talking today, Chris. Thank you, guys. So glad to be here. So, you know, I was at the screening for thank, uh, Thanks for Sharing uh, last night, and I have to say the film really surprised me at how much it affected me. It was so wonderfully written and executed, and, of course, the score was fantastic. I know you mentioned that you and Stuart Blumberg, who co-wrote and directed, uh, really collaborated closely on this one. So what were those initial discussions? What did, you what did he tell you that he wanted from you, you know, musically, and what did you want to do with your score in the film? Um, I mean, the first thing that, that Stuart said is that they really, they just couldn't find a tone for the emotional moments, the, the, the moments where the characters are sharing their stories, the moments where they're really having the, the uh, you know, the, the quiet moments in, in, in the recovery centers and, and just dealing with their families. And, uh, and he said that, you know, one of the things he said was that it, much like the movie, he needed something that did more than one thing. It couldn't just be sad or feeling pity for the characters. It couldn't just be um, analyzing. It couldn't just be feeling, you know, trying to make everyone feel like, hey, there is some hope here. It's got to be, it had to be sort of all of those things. And so he definitely mentioned to me that he wanted it to have, you know, a, you know, a bittersweet emotional quality, but that also had sort of a hope and a, and a uh, you know, a promise of a better day kind of thing. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and the interesting thing when he said that, once I watched the movie, you know, the, the first thing that always that came to mind was this idea of, of, of a simple, somewhat gospel-inspired theme, and, and I started playing it, you know, the first thing, I heard it first in my in my head on piano, and I started playing it on this old 1926 Steinway, and, and it just sort of felt right, and I think, um, you know, when I finally played that for Stewart, that was what got me the job, and that was what, uh, you know, what ended up actually being the theme of the film, um, and, and for me, I think it's such a you know, it's such a testament to the film that Stewart made because it would have been very easy to make a film about addiction that's just dark and sad or right. just scary and, and disturbing or just make a, a lighthearted comedy about how funny these people are. It, that would have been the easy way, and, and he didn't. He, he made a much more, you know, I think a much more human movie where, you know, where it's, it's actually real realistic view because you know every day is different. What, no matter what you're struggling with, whether it's an addiction or, um, or, or you know, God forbid, you know, uh, health issues in someone's family or the loss of a loved one. It's like, yeah, there's sad moments or whatever. But you know, every day there's there's moments of laughter, there's moments of joy, there's moments of, of of heartache. And I think that was one of the things that he wanted. And that was one of the things that. Not only did I, you know, hook, thank the Lord, stumble on the inspiration for it, but, you know, but that was one of the things that, that drew me to the movie and, you know, and, and, and initially made me, you know, I mean, I called, trust me, I called, uh, you know, Robert Erdang, the music supervisor, and I, I mean, I said, look, I, I, you know, I'm, I've got to do this movie, and, and I, you know, it doesn't always work that way, and in Hollywood, they tell you it's not flattering to, uh, 
to grovel, but I saw it, and I just <laughs> said I had to do it. I had to. I mean, it, it is special in that sense, it, it, because, I mean, right, real-life human experience is filled, like, every day with your friends. It's sad, it's funny, you, you joke, but... And it, it reminded me, my, my favorite series uh, is Scrubs, and that, that that show managed to balance that as well. And I think to exactly. really find that level and make it connect with the audience, is, it's challenging. But when you get it right, it's a very beautiful experience, and I loved it. And uh, since the... Yeah, well, I, sorry, go ahead. I, almost, I, mean, I was going to say the other thing that I almost, you know, I, I, I do... You know, I, I've heard any, any, it's funny, you know, any of the, the reviews of the film that aren't, that, that maybe aren't fully behind it, they always sort of say that, you know, all of them said this idea of like, a, of, oh, you know, the movie can't decide whether it wants to be a, a comedy or a drama. And, and my first, my first response is always, well, neither can life. So that's one thing. And then number two is, you know, I kind of felt the same way about one of my favorite television shows, MASH. And I, right. I felt the same way about one of my favorite movies, which is called Life is Beautiful. And here I am cracking up at, at Roberto Benigni in the middle of the Holocaust. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. Absolutely. And, you know? And the film, it does, it, you know, it does deal with addiction. In this case, it's sex addiction. But it becomes, it becomes very heavy, a very heavy examination on the psyche of the characters, the human condition, you know, out, outside influences, and we see each character kind of deal with it differently. And I always say this because I think it's true. I feel like every composer should automatically be given a Ph.D. in psychiatry and therapy because I feel like you guys, you, <laughs> you know the human condition, I think, better than anyone else. And do you feel that a composer needs to know how to analyze a character properly before being able to rightfully score that character? I, I you know what, I absolutely do. And it's, it's very funny because one of my, you know, one of my, you know, m the people I admire most uh, in this business right now, and I think, you know, a couple of those people, you know, uh, one being my old, my childhood hero, John Williams, of course, but the other one being, uh, you know, our buddy Hans Zimmer, you know, the first thing that anyone who really knows Hans will tell you about him is that he is almost like a therapist to the directors he works with. You know, there's that story of him talking Penny Marshall on the ledge at four o'clock in the morning. But I don't think that's, a, I don't think that's made up. And I think that's one of the reasons he's so successful and so good is because that is, like you said, you hit a nail on the head. That's our, that's our real job is, is, is coming up with, the real emotional, you know, impetus behind all our characters and coming up with, you know, that, the, the sort of, um, the psychological analysis that allows us to then translate it into the language of music. Right. But, the, but the, first, the first thing has to come from the psychological aspect. We have to know who is this character and what is their journey. And if you don't know that, then it doesn't matter how good the music is. Absolutely, I think yeah. It's and it's funny because I'm not, I mean I'm not a musician, but as a as a aspiring screenwriter and filmmaker, I mean growing up, music was kind of like my therapy too, you know. And and I could always turn to it, and it was almost like a you know a therapy session. It was it was you know, kind of undescribable how it, it affects you. But but I think the the brilliant thing that connects all of us humans is that we you know share many experiences, which is why we can relate to these movies. I've you know, I've never been addicted to anything, but I have gone through my share of periods of depression, uncertainty, frustration, and for that reason, I really connected with this film 
you know, very much. Uh, as a composer and a storyteller, how important is it to have your life experience, the many experiences of life, to kind of, I guess, add armor to your arsenal, you know, just to have that experience to draw on? Do you think a 20 years ago, would you be able to have scored this film as well as you did today? Absolutely not. I absolutely don't think I could have. I, I am so thankful that this film came upon, came upon my life when it did mm-hmm. um, in, so, in so many ways. Um, I, you know, I was really at the right point. I needed to see a movie like this. I needed to watch and, and experience and create for a movie like this. I had just, you know, I, I had just, I think, found out uh, that we were pregnant with our next child and um, we were pregnant with our next child, and I knew that, uh, you know, and, and, and I knew I had uh, this new TV series, Revolution, coming up, and, uh, you know, and I had some, you know, some family issues that were going on uh, with my extended family, and it was really, it was really a time that was perfect for this. Right. And, um, you know, and I think, you know, I, th- I think really that that's, that's, sort of this divine intervention, which I think a lot of this movie is about, where I think, you know, you have to be, like you said, you have to have the right life experiences to draw from, and you also have to be in the right mindset to be able to pour your soul into something, especially when it comes to something that's a little more of a, of a, a, you know, of a drama that searches, you know, that that it, that it, you know, inspects life rather than a a popcorn movie of, of some sort, which, you know, you may be able to sort of, you know, put yourself in the right mindset for that with, with, you know, with some coaxing, but, but to get ready for a movie like this, you really kind of have to really be true and honest with where you are and, and, and in your life. And I, I think it was, a, for me, it was a perfect time for this to come along. And, and you, you really hit the nail on the head with uh, just your sonic like textures and everything that you came up with. And that might, and you, you talked about it last night, but the, the this kind of the scratching and the that itch that needs to be scratched, that little the uh, little motif you did, and it you know it made me feel antsy and anxious. And you really translated that. What what did you guys do to create that to come up with that sound? Um, well, we definitely have. There's a lot of trial and error, and um, and we did a lot of. We knew it was going to be. We knew it had to be some sort of friction because. Stuart kept talking about this idea of an itch. And, and so the idea, at first we were like, you know, we wanted to be super literal about it. So we, you know, we were, we were inside of the piano with our fingernails scratching on the piano strings, which, you know, there's a little bit of that that got processed and put in the score, but for the most part that became too literal. Mm-hmm. And then, then what we ended up doing is moving on to, you know, bowing of out-of-tune Turkish hammer dulcimers, and, um, you know, and, and, you know, scraping on, on guitar strings, um, as well as sort of this, uh, ticking, um, you know, electronic sound that we ended up using that, uh, you know, that, that all came together to sort of create that, that itch. But the idea for me of pulling something, whether it be a bow or a, or a nail file or something across things that could vibrate that actually was pulling with force and friction to me very much lined up with what Stuart was talking about in terms of this itch and, and a, you know, and a, and an urge that just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, you know, and it's, 
and it, you know, the, the, if, if anybody out there knows about addiction, it, it's, you know, it's really more, more than an urge for pleasure. It's, it's actually an urge to, you know, to, to medicate something that's not right with, you know, with the person. And, you know, in the case of, of Ruffalo's character, you know, he's, he's had this horrible breakup after five years. He finally thought he found somebody he loved and it went down the toilet. Right. And so he's sitting there all, all by himself on this hotel room bed. And all he, you know, just like an alcoholic needs a, a, a drink or a, uh, you know, or a, uh, you know, uh, or a, a drug addict needs a hit of something. He's sitting on this bed and he's just looking for some kind of pill to pop to make the pain go away. And it's poking at him and it's, you know, and, and that kind of thing to me, when I really thought about it and talked about it with Stuart, I I really got to the point where that needs, that really needed to be that friction and that anxiousness. And it, and I wanted people to sort of get a little wiggly in their seats and get uncomfortable. And I think it worked. It did work. It it did work. At least worked on me. So, but, uh, the, the, the film as a whole was terrific and the score added so much. And, uh, but just out of curiosity, did you ever uh, see Shame, the Steve McQueen directed film? I did not. In fact, in fact, I specifically didn't see it. Or once I once I started working on this movie, and I, I I didn't have, I didn't know too much about that movie. Uh-huh. And once I started working on this movie, I, I I specifically didn't see it. And and even Stuart mentioned that that we sh- probably shouldn't reference that at all because it was such a more it's such a just a different outlook on it and oh, yeah. Stewart didn't want he didn't want it to be that hopeless at all yeah. and I think I think I I just decided we, we decided that it wasn't really shouldn't be part of our vocabulary no yeah it, it, I mean it, it's a very different film it is much darker but it, it did, I think it's definitely for people who view both I think it's a, a wonderful companion pieces because there are two kind of <laughs> takes on it yeah, and I mean, maybe I'll watch it now that I've written it and then the movie's out, so yeah, yeah. that'd be the right, the right time for it. So moving to uh, to Revolution, uh, when you work on a TV series that really has kind of these large season arcs, uh, such as Revolution does, do you talk with the writers to kind of find out where they're going? Do you like to build arcs across a season, or do you just kind of work at one episode at a time and just kind of take it as it comes? Um, you know, the, well, the good thing about both my shows, Revolution and, and Supernatural, is that, you know, luckily they were created by one of my best friends in the whole world, uh, Eric Kripke, so I, I have a little bit of an inside track, mm-hmm. but that being said, he will only dish out information as needed, and there's a lot of stuff that I, that I very much am kept from. Um, there's, you guys will see in the, in the, in the opening episode of season two, there's, a couple things that have transpired and one thing that's a little bit, uh, you know, more in, in the, the mystical realm, uh, that's a little more unexplainable. And, and I had to call Eric and say, all right, I know you don't want to tell me what, where this ends up, but where's this going trajectory wise? Cause it's going to change what I do. And, you know, and so he gave me, you know, a couple of tidbits of information and, and, and that, affected how I played a couple of the uh, of the scenes and and I think uh, I, I think it's a really great uh, trajectory that's happening this year that's really a big departure from last year which is cool but I think uh, you know I think I'm definitely I'm certainly not given scripts for the whole season you know or for half a season in advance they they do guard them 
and uh, and I only sort of get get what I'm. First of all, I ask for what I what I think I need, right. and then I only get what's necessary beyond that. Right. I guess, I guess you, I mean you do need some information, I think, so that you know you're accompanying the whole story as it goes. But I know I know some composers who are like they want their music to be like their first reaction and the kind of blind reaction to to the music and I I feel like that's I feel like that would I mean it'll be a great to experience a show as a viewer but that would just frustrate me I'll be like I want you to know where it's going <laughs> but, right uh, you've also made a name for yourself in comedy uh, which is one of the hardest genres when it comes to music uh, what, what's the key to scoring comedy how does music need to function when the laughs are coming from dialogue and the physicality of the actors um, I think you know that's one of those ones where you know I I got first of all I loved comedies growing up and, and it's it's interesting the way my career turned out because you know when I really sit back and think about the the movies I loved as a kid there were sort of two kinds of movies one is the big you know the big epic fantasy movie whether that be in the form of James Bond or Indiana Jones or E.T with John Williams, but the other one, of course, was I was a huge fan of sort of the big 80s comedies, you know, and you, you can list them, starting with Daddy Shack and Stripes and Animal House and Airplane and Spies Like It, and you list them, and you're like, wait a second, they were all Elmer, yeah. and then I got to USC, and I had the amazing fortune of studying for an entire year with Elmer Bernstein. And so, you know, if I will go to my grandmother saying that there's just nobody who did comedy better than Elmer. And, uh, and one of the things that I think I really learned from Elmer is there's sort of two ways to play comedy in a live action feature. There's obviously a different story when you're, when you're doing animation and trying to do a lot of hitting and Mickey Mouse stuff. But when it comes to live action features, there's really two things to do. Number one is you play a vibe or a, a, a uh, you know a, a, a feeling or groove that gives you permission to laugh, and the great example of that for me is is the the sort of um, the stride piano stuff from Ghostbusters that Elmer did. Mm -hmm. You know, and I would say I would say that the kind of things that I would that I do on Horrible Bosses and Identity Thief are very much in that realm of of giving some of having music be there that increases the energy and gives people permission to laugh, but then uses a lot of the spotting in terms of where things start and stop to maybe highlight jokes rather than, you know, actually hitting them with a musical, you know, button. Right. Um, and then the other way to do it, of course, is the way that Elmer did it so well in things like Stripes and, and uh, Animal House, which is played super straight and play against the comedy. So you've got this huge military, you know, like stripes theme and, you know, Bill Murray's driving an RV and that, uh, that's the other way to do it. And I, I definitely did that a lot. And, uh, you know, I certainly did a lot in some of the, uh, the uh, family comedies like, uh, you know, cats and dogs and things like that, where I played these huge epic, you know, you know, spy situations for Kitty Galore when in actuality it's a, you know, the hairless cat. So it actually makes it funnier by being over the top. Right. Um, and before we wrap up, I, I have to mention Starhawk. It was one of my favorite game scores of last ah. year. And Thank you. It reminded me so much of Gun, which is one of my favorite scores of yours, like, of all time. 
And so what's your take on the Western sound? Because it's definitely not heavy on the Morricone influences. You, you love to get that big kind of brass frontier sound in there. Yeah, I mean, I was lucky, and, I, and trust me, I'm a huge Morricone fan. I love that oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it just, it. It, it, just, it just happened to be that these, you know, probably it's a video game, so there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of intense action in both, in both games, Gun and, uh, and Starhawk had really heroic main characters, which, you know, which is a little different than the reluctant kind of hero or something like that. These were big, muscular kick-ass characters and they needed this brass and you know and i i obviously you know like i said there's another a great example of, of you know elmer like magnificent seven in a very upbeat way but then as we get further and further along i also studied with uh, bruce broughton you know who wrote two of my favorite western scores in silverado and tombstone oh yeah um and i got and i worked with Babel Polidorus who did notes Dove, which was a knockout as well so i i really have this you know, I have a wonderful respect and love for, you know, for sort of big, lush, epic westerns, you know, and, and the great thing is they don't make very many epic western movies anymore, so the fact that I got the opportunity to score two big, epic, orchestral western games is, like, such a treat. I, I, I don't know how I pulled it off. I mean, obviously, Starhawk came because they, partly because they like Gun. But uh, but it was just such a treat to be able to do that twice, and I certainly wouldn't say no if we ended up trying to do one again. So I uh, I just love that I love that whole epic frontier, you know, orchestral approach, and I and I and I just think it's so effective, but it's also really just fun to write. Yeah, I mean they're my favorite scores I think from Morricone and Nina Elmer and everybody, but and it's sad that Lone Ranger flopped as hard as it did because I feel like that kind of put a a nail in the coffin for big budget westerns, and I, I I enjoyed it so much. I don't understand why people like were so afraid or hated the movie, but I, I think Hans did a magnificent job in gore. But it's I have not seen it yet, and I want to see it, and I and I hope that you're right. I am glad to hear you say that because I did hear a lot of negative reviews, and I and I was so looking forward to, it, and I so want to see you know what what Hans did. Cause I know he really did a big orchestral score for it, and I'm excited to hear it. He did, and they did a great uh, variation on the William Tell Overture, the final train sequence, like Jeff Zanelli arranged it, and it was, oh, it was brilliant. I, 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 it, was, it was so entertaining and so much fun, and it, you know, homages uh, Leone and stuff, so it's, I don't know, I don't understand people anymore. But <laughs> yeah, exactly, who knows? Yeah, but uh, Chris, thanks so much uh, for chatting uh, and taking the time, it's always a pleasure and an honor, and your music is always at a different level, and I'm always anticipating what comes next. Actually, well, thank you so much for that. Thank you for coming and watching the movie, and, and obviously it's an indie movie, so, so just the help that you're giving us in terms of spreading the word is, is so appreciated, and, and I really just appreciate you know how much sport film music, too. So, I, uh, you know, we need as many of you as we can get. <laughs> Thanks. Well, I'm telling everybody, to, I mean, it, it is, I think, one of the best movies of the year, so I'm telling people to to go check it out, so hopefully people do. Thank you, Connor. So, so appreciate it. Great to see you soon. All right. Take care, Chris. Bye.